John 10 and verse 10, very familiar verse. We'll turn over there to start today. Now we're going to continue our series about dollars and cents. Dollars and cents. We started the series last week and we started talking about money and resources. Money and resources. Talking about finances, what God has to say about money. He has a lot, a lot, a lot, a lot to say about money. Um, we mentioned this last week, but as we get going here, there is kind of a, a couple subjects in the Bible that people try to avoid at church because people get uncomfortable about it. One of them is money. It's money. Notice how quiet it is when I said it, money. <laughs> Everybody gets uncomfortable about that because a lot of reasons, but one of the main reasons is because money is a revealer of your heart. And it reveals what you think is important, your priorities, what you value. It reveals all those things about you. So money is really one of the ways that determines where your heart is. It says in the Bible that where your treasure is, your heart will be also. Where your money is, your heart will be also. People get uncomfortable about it, but the point of this series and this message is this. If you want to know what anybody knows about money, it should be God. I'm, I'm just trying to use some common sense here, but God knows everything about everything. So why don't we ask what God thinks about it and not just other people who don't know everything about everything. And God knows everything about everything, and we know that, and it's in His Word. So how do we know what God thinks about something? we got to go to the Bible and see what He says about it. And in the Bible, there's over 2,000 references about money. That's a lot of references about money. Almost half of the... Uh, teachings and parables that Jesus used in the gospels were about money. So Jesus had a lot to say about money and how we use our money, how we give, how we take care of our our money just practically, how we work, how do we uh, treat our employers. He said a lot about finances, resources, money. It's important. So for us to be Christians or even be people that are in church and to act like money's not important, that's just a lie. Because money's important. We all know this because if you really think that, then quit your job tomorrow and live under the bridge. Nobody wants to do that. We all know money's important. Most of us spend majority of our lives working for money. Most of you don't go to work just to go to work for fun. Now, you should enjoy your job, but most of us just don't do it just to do it. You're doing it for money, for resources, to take care of yourself, take care of your family. It's important what we do with our money. So this whole series, we want to erase whatever you thought before about money and listen to what God has to say about money. Can we do that? I realize there's people from all different backgrounds, all different uh, settings. Some of you grew up poor. Some of you grew up rich. Some of you grew up in the middle, in the suburbs. Uh, Some of you grew up with bad teaching on money, good teaching on money. Some of you grew up in religion, which religion teaches you a lot of wrong things about what God says about money. So we're all coming from different areas, and some of us struggled our whole lives with money. Some of us, it's been easy. But wherever we're at, God can help us. Wherever we're at, God can help us to change the way we think, and he has help for you practically because he wants to be our provider. He wants to be our provider just as much as he wants to be your savior and your healer, Jesus wants to be your provider just as much. 
And it's his will that he provides for you or he prospers you just as much as it's his will that you're saved and that you're healed. Jesus paid for your provision just as much as those things. Now, the reason a lot of us don't think that or we don't live that practically is because it hasn't been talked about that much in church. Now, we know when we start talking about money, there are stereotypes everywhere about money. And I realize that it's a sensitive subject in uh, the world in general because people make fun of churches or preachers that have any money like we shouldn't. But it doesn't make sense because you want the people that are ungodly to have the money, but not the people that are godly to have the money. So how does that work? And we mentioned this last week, but whoever has the money on this planet has the influence. So why would God want the wrong people to have the money so they could have the influence? That's not true. God would want his church and his kingdom to have the resources to do what they need to do to not only help people, but to influence the entire world. And you can't do that without money. You can't do it. You can't do it without resources. But a lot of us have a religious thinking, and it's okay for rock stars to have money and athletes to have money and Hollywood to have money but if churches or believers or especially preachers have money something's wrong why? why is that wrong? it's okay when it's in the hands of the wrong people but when it gets in the hands of the right people something's wrong notice that didn't even make any sense that's what religion teaches you That's what the world tries to teach you. You notice religion never really makes sense. It doesn't make any sense at all. God wants us to prosper, and he wants to be our provider, and it's not just for selfish reasons. God wants to prosper us. So John 10 and verse 10, you got me going before this message even started. John 10 and verse 10, very familiar verse. It says in John 10 verse 10, this is the New Living Translation, the thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. But my purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Notice that. This is red letter, Jesus speaking. Put it on your refrigerator scripture. And what does it say? The thief's purpose. Who is the thief? The thief is Satan. The thief is the enemy. The thief's purpose is to still kill and destroy. But Jesus said, which Jesus is God, my purpose is to give them a rich and a satisfying life. Or some translations say, a life and life more abundantly. A life and life more abundantly. Now, I don't hear any poverty in that scripture whatsoever. I don't hear Jesus is trying to keep you poor and humble. I don't hear Jesus was poor and you need to be poor also. I don't hear let's be a beggar church and beg the world for some money so we can try to do something. I don't hear any of that in that verse. But notice that's religion that teaches you that. And that's what other people that just grew up and thought wrong about money teach you that. But notice, we have to see what God says about money, not people. You know, you could love your family. You could love teachers that taught you in high school and college. But if what they said does not line up with the Bible, God bless them, but they're wrong. Now, you don't got to tell them that. But just so you know in your mind, they're wrong and God's right. It's that simple. And you could love them. And you can appreciate them and you can still respect them. But you need to understand, you need to renew your mind to what God says about money. Not what your family says about money. Not what your friend says about money. Not what Donald Trump says about money. Hello, somebody. 
not what your college accountant professor says about money, not what your teacher at school says about money, not what your friends say about money, not even what your race says about money. Uh-oh. Uh-oh now. What your culture says about money, you live in the Midwest, so there's a Midwestern way of thinking about money, just like there is on the West Coast and on the East Coast. No, we need to renew our mind to what God says about money, because that's what is true. That's what's true. So he says that I came to give life, and life more abundantly. Let's look at 2 Corinthians 8 and 9. I'm trying to read the introduction scriptures. You guys are starting this with me today. 2 Corinthians 8, and we're going to read 2 Corinthians 8 in verse 9. 2 Corinthians 8 in verse 9. New living again, it says that you know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty... He could make you rich. That's the Bible. This is a scripture, folks. Most religious people would fall out if they read this verse out loud. (laughs) Did you just say, that's what the Bible says. And the context of this chapter is money. He's not talking about spiritual wealth in heaven when you get there. He's talking about money and finances here on the earth. And he says, 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, You know that the generous grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, so the grace of God, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty you could be made rich. Can I get amen? Amen. So if we're taking notes today, the title of my message is, Rich God, Poor God. Rich God, Poor God. Today we're going to talk about many things, but especially... What we think about God. Who do we see him as somebody who is rich or someone who is poor? How do we see the nature and the character of God? And really, honestly, the people that bash prosperity preaching and health and wealth preaching, and you guys are just preaching that prosperity gospel like all those TV preachers, and your health and wealth people, that it's not necessarily an attack against scriptures. You're attacking the very nature of God. Because it it comes back to this main idea, and we're going to talk about it today, is who do you really see that God is? Do you see him as a rich God or as a poor God? So we're going to dive into that today and really see who God is. Now, let's turn over to 2 Timothy 2 in verse 15. I'm going to lay some foundation for where we're going today. So, we're talking about rich God, poor God. Now, we're not going to just talk about God today, but we're going to talk about you pertaining to that. And many times people will take scriptures out of context, and make them say something it doesn't say. That's why it's important that we study our Bibles for ourselves and not just take everyone's word for it, including myself. Don't just take what I say. Go home and study it yourself and see if I'm taking something out of context. And if I, if I am, 
then make your own decision. And in 2 Corinthians 2, in verse 15, in the New Living, it says, Work hard so you can present yourself to God and receive His approval. Be a good worker, one who does not need to be ashamed, and who correctly explains the word of truth. Who correctly explains the word of truth. Now, some translations say it like this in the King James. It says, rightly divide the word of God. In New Living, it says, correctly explains the words of truth. Now, if you can rightly divide the Bible, you can wrongly divide the Bible. And it goes on in Peter, and it says that if you wrongly divide scriptures, you can actually bring destruction on yourself and other people and take scriptures and twist it to make it say something it doesn't say and it ends up hurting you. I know that's, that's really wild to think about, that somebody could take scriptures that are supposed to give you life and it actually brings you death, but you can do it when you take scriptures out of context and make them say something they don't say. Now, now stay with me. We're going to teach you for a second here. I'm going to explain to you real quick just a, a quick version of why some people, especially religious people, will take certain scriptures out of the Bible about uh, being rich or being poor and make it say something it doesn't say because they don't understand how to really study their Bible. And they take scriptures out of context and wrongly divide the Word of God. Now we realize that there's people on two different sides of the spectrum when it comes to rich and poor in the Christian world. There's preachers that get up and they will use a scripture to justify why you should be poor. But then there's also a preacher over here that will use a scripture and justify why God wants you to be rich. Both using scriptures. Now, eventually we got to figure out, okay, well, who's right and who's wrong here? Because they're both using scriptures. Well, let me explain something to you real quick, and this is this is where my Portland Bible College comes out in me, so just bear with me here. Um, there's four different types of people mentioned in the Bible pertaining to finances. Now, you need to know that when you study your Bible because a lot of people just glump them all to be the same person when it's, it's not true. Now, he's, these are the four different types of people. Now, you could write this down so when you read the Bible, you can understand what he's talking about and read it in context of what the Scripture actually says. So there's four different types of people. Now, this is the reason, once again, why people take verses out of context and make it say something it doesn't say. Okay, so the Bible mentions righteous rich and unrighteous rich. But the Bible also mentions righteous poor and unrighteous poor. All four of those different people are mentioned in the Bible. And so you could see why people get confused. Because you got to understand what type of person is he talking about in that verse. Because there's some people that will take one of these verses and run off to one extreme because they don't understand the context of what's being said here. So let me just give you a few examples. So there's righteous rich and there's righteous poor mentioned in the Bible. That's true. There's a lot of references to people that were righteous and they were rich. But there's also people in the Bible that were righteous and they didn't have a lot. That's true. In the same way, there's people mentioned in the Bible that were unrighteous, but they were rich. They had money. A lot of times, let's just take this for example. In the book of Psalms, uh, David will mention people like that, that they have a lot of money and they seem like they're succeeding, but they're unrighteous. And we know that today. There's true. There's unrighteous rich. 
But he will also mention there's unrighteous poor also. And that kind of scriptures like that come out in the book of Proverbs where he says, you know, when you don't do what's right with your money and you don't handle it well, it will bring you to poverty. It's an unrighteous poor. So, for example, the, uh, the rich young ruler in the Gospels. People will take that scripture out of context because he had money. And they will use one thing that Jesus said at one time in his whole entire ministry and run off in a ditch with it because he said to that righteous, rich young ruler, he said to him, you need to sell all you have and give it to the poor. Now, poverty gospel people love those scriptures. But realize, in context, that was one person and one specific period of time, and his God was his money, so he said his money on purpose. If it was something else, he would have brought up something different. So we can't take one verse like that and just say, everybody sell all you have and give it to the poor. That would be dishonest when we study our Bible. And then there's other scriptures where it says that God wants you to be wealthy. He says that God wants you to be rich. We just read it, that we would have life and life more abundantly, that he died and it says that he became poor, that we might become rich. What do you do with verses like that? So I just want us as believers, as a church, to realize why some people, even though they mean well, they just are taking scriptures out of context to make it say something it doesn't say. So there's four different types of people in the Bible. And so when you read a verse, think about, okay, this is what they're talking about. This is an unrighteous poor person in this verse, or this is a righteous rich person. Read it in context of what it really says. So we understand the meaning of scriptures because we don't want to go to one extreme or the other by taking scriptures out of the right context because that's what happens there's there's a group in the body of christ that will run over here and say you know poverty equals humility equals godliness equals you know you're right with god because you're poor by taking scriptures out of context but then other people will take scriptures over here and just say that everybody's going to be a billionaire and drive a bentley both are extremes So we need to be right in the middle of the road and realize what the Word of God really has to say. Okay, that was just for fun right there. So let's dive into this, John 10 and verse 10. So that's just something. When you're studying Scripture and you you read a Scripture, you're like, I don't know if that really fits in with what we're hearing at church. Realize there's four different types of people they're talking about in the Bible. It's not all the same person. And also the context of why they're saying what they're saying. John 10 and verse 10. John 10 and verse 10, it says that the thief's purpose is to steal, kill, and destroy, but my purpose is to give them a rich, notice, and satisfying life. A rich and satisfying life. That's Jesus speaking. Some translations would say life and life more abundantly. Other translations would say abundance in every area. God wants you to prosper. God wants to provide for you. God wants to make you rich. Now, I know we all cringe when I say that word because that's that religion. That's a religion in all of us. That's what people have said about Christians and preachers. They were like, ah, rich, a little too far. Now, stay with me today because that's what the Bible says. He says that 
I have come, Jesus has come, that they may have life and life more abundantly. New Living says a rich and a satisfying life. God wants us to be rich because he's rich. God wants us to have more than enough just like he has more than enough. And we need to realize this is what the word says about us. God wants us to have more than enough. And notice it mentions at the beginning of this verse, who doesn't want you to prosper, and it's not God. It mentions at the beginning of this verse, who wants to take from you, and it's not God. He mentions at the beginning of this verse, if anybody's trying to take away from you and wants to keep you poor and wants to keep you down and wants to keep you struggling, it's not God, it's the enemy. And so when we preach that God's trying to do something that he's not trying to do, we're uh, really getting in agreement with the enemy, not with God. Because the enemy, it says, comes to steal, kill, and destroy And that's not just in one area, that's in every area. In your finances, in your health, in your body, in your relationships, the enemy comes to steal, kill, and destroy. But Jesus said, I have come that they may have life and life more abundantly, a rich and a satisfying life. So if anybody doesn't want you to have money or resources, it's not God. Realize who your problem is. It's not God. It's the enemy who doesn't want you to have it. And notice, it's religion that get in agreement with that statement that helps the enemy keep people down, keep people struggling, keep people in poverty, keeping the church poor so the church doesn't have any influence in society. So, if anybody wants you to be poor, it's not God, it's the enemy. And if anybody wants you to prosper, it is God himself. If anybody wants to provide for you, it's God himself, not the enemy. And we need to realize that God wants us to prosper. He wants us to be rich. He wants us to be provided for and have abundance in every area. Now, if you don't live there today, guess what? A lot of us don't, but that's where we're going. Once again, we have to believe the truth of God's word. Just because you're not living in abundance right now doesn't mean God's word is not true. It means that this is what God has provided for me, and the more I hear about it, and the more I renew my mind to it, and the more I believe in it, that the provision will come to me. You got me preaching here. I'm going to have to calm down. So God wants us to prosper. Now, once again, I'm reading from a scripture. Scripture. Reading from a scripture, everybody. Because <laughs> religion says, well, you guys are just making that stuff up. I'm reading from a scripture that's red letter that Jesus said. One of the most famous verses in all the Bible. And Jesus said that I've come to give you a rich and a satisfying life. And that's not just spiritually. That's every area. It's every area of your life. So... Rich God, poor God, we're still talking about that. Now, let me say a couple things about, once again, some religion that we've heard before, and some of you guys could still believe this, but we need to renew our mind to God's word. In the New Testament, it says that you could make your traditions so powerful that they override the truth of God's word. Tradition. 
And I would say, especially when it pertains to money, a lot of us have bad tradition in our minds that overrule the word of God. What your aunt told you, what your grandparents who went through the Great Depression told you about money, what the culture tells you, what religion tells you. And you could make a tradition, especially because you hear it so much. Why? Because faith comes by hearing and hearing, even if it's wrong. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. You could hear it so much you actually believe it's true. Let's take something right here. This is a tradition that most people believe. Jesus was poor. Jesus was poor. Now, if you just studied your Bible for more than five seconds, you would realize Jesus wasn't poor. Now, let me just give you one or two reasons why. We're not going to teach about Jesus wasn't poor today, but that's a tradition. You'll hear people say that. Well, I'm poor just like Jesus was poor. Or you were poor like Job's turkeys. You ever heard that one? First of all, Job was one of the most wealthy people in the world. So if you were Job's turkey, you would be making money. You would be doing good. You would be living in a good condo with Job. But people would say, you know, I'm just poor like Job's turkey. Now, Job's turkeys were wealthy turkeys, unless they were being eaten. But other than that, they were wealthy. But people say Jesus was poor. Well, first of all, when Jesus was born, three wise men brought him gifts. Now, these were wealthy, wealthy people. When they brought those three gifts to Jesus, when he was a baby, gold, frankincense, and myrrh, the amount of wealth that would come from those three gifts, from those three kings, would be in the millions and billions of dollars in today's money. Just that fact alone would cancel out this idea that Jesus was poor. Because when he was just a baby, God was already providing for his son. And we know that Joseph and Mary were good parents, and they took that money, and guess what? They used it as Jesus was growing up to help take care of him, and also to help his ministry when he got older. It also says in the Gospels that there were many people of great wealth that partnered with Jesus to fund his ministry. Jesus wasn't poor. Even if Jesus was out in the middle of nowhere, even if he didn't have any money, there wasn't an ATM, there wasn't a McDonald's, there wasn't a Chick-fil-A, especially on Sunday. (laughs) Sad, isn't it? God, I know you're trying to honor God, but honor me with a chicken sandwich on Sunday because we want to eat chicken on Sunday. That is the Lord's bird, chicken, fried chicken, not grilled chicken fried chicken I know you're trying to honor God but honor me a little bit Chick-fil-A for real so there were even times even though Jesus had money he was in the wilderness you know when you're in the Hoosier National Forest you can't just run down the street and use ATM you're in the middle of the forest In the same way Jesus would be out in the desert preaching and teaching or he'd be on a mountaintop teaching and preaching and he wouldn't be able to use his money. Even in those times, God provided supernatural food and provision for him. Even when he physically didn't even have any money to use. So this idea that Jesus was poor, I just gave you three or four reasons right there. And you can look it up later. There's a lot of reasons Jesus was not poor. Now, we're going to get into this later on. There was a time in his life that he became poor 
But that was on the cross. But in his earthly ministry, the 33 years of his life, he did not live in poverty or struggle. He lived in provision and prosperity. Are you hearing what I'm saying? Now, that's a tradition. People say Jesus was poor, so I need to be poor. It's not true. We need to know the truth of God's word. So here's a big idea, and a lot of people, religious people, but even just people in the world will think this, that poverty equals you being frugal and humble. So if you're poor, you're just, you're just frugal with your money, and you're humble. God bless your heart. You're just so humble. All of us know in here that there's a lot of people that have no money, and they're not humble at all. That's your tradition. And on the other side, a lot of us have this mindset that if you're rich, that means you're prideful and you're greedy. Once again, it's your tradition. We've renewed our mind to it so much, we believe it. But what does God's word say about it? He said it has to do with your heart. It has to do with your heart. Not things, not, not richness or poorness. It has to do with your heart. It has to do with your heart. So those are traditions that people will believe if you're poor, then you're humble. If you're rich, then you're prideful and you're greedy. And I know all of you have heard that sometime in your life from either church people or non-church people. It's a tradition. and We need to let God renew our mind that that's not right. What does God's word say about it? What does God's word say about it? We, we make this joke, and it's been at our church a, a while, but this is what people ha- had really said in the past in different denominations, even to dad. And, you know, they made a joke before, you know, um, God keep him poor, talking about the preacher. Now, this is not funny for me. God keep him poor, or God keep him humble, and we'll keep him poor. Church members saying that. I want to say, what the heck? God keeping me humble, and the church keeping them poor. Tradition. That's tradition. Tradition. And notice it doesn't even line it with the Bible because God's not got to keep you humble. You got to humble yourself before God. But notice, once again, people would say that jokingly and actually really meant it, and it's tradition. It's not the word of God. So those things could come in our lives, and we could think those things, and they override what the truth of God's word says. So Jesus said in John 10.10 that you would have life and life more abundantly. When people come against the prosperity and provision message, they're not attacking just the scripture. They're attacking the nature and the character of God. It's a bigger issue than they're letting on. They're trying to make it into a scripture, a doctrine issue, but you're attacking God himself saying that he can't provide for his own people. Saying that he's really not a rich God. He's a poor God. Now, nobody would ever say that out of your mouth, but they're living that way with their actions and with their words. That I don't really believe God is a rich God. I believe he's a poor God. Can't even take care of his own family. So when people attack the prosperity message, the provision message, they're not just attacking the scripture, they're attacking the nature of God. That's a big deal. And I know it's a big deal to God. That people don't see him as he truly is, as not just rich, but the richest being in all of creation. In the entire universe, that there is no end to his richness and his supply. 
There's nothing that God doesn't have or doesn't own. There's nothing beyond his power. That's the God that we serve. And so when we say that, God, we believe that you want to prosper us and we believe that you want to provide for us, that makes God happy because we're seeing God for how he truly is. We're seeing him in the nature and the character that he reveals himself and the word of God is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-supplying, all-sufficient, rich God who can take care of not just the universe but can take care of our day-to-day needs. He's big enough to do it. If he can sustain the whole universe without getting tired, he can sustain us. Like the prayer in the Gospels where Jesus said, Give us this day our daily bread. He can provide for us our daily needs, and it's easy for him. It's not hard. He is God. So John 10, he's a God who wants us to have abundance. Now, uh, before we go any further... We're going to talk about a definition of rich and a definition of poor in the Bible. Because I know a lot of us have different ideas what that means. But first of all, before we we dive into this more about the idea of God being rich or God wants you to be rich. First of all, we need to realize rich is relative. Rich is relative. Now let me explain what that means to you. Rich is relative. When I say rich today, all of us... Because we live in the United States of America, we picture certain things when I say rich. When I say rich, you see mansions, you see uh, nice cars, you see pools, you see billions of dollars, you see famous, you see celebrity, you see uh, just a, a table of all the best foods. When I say rich, that's what you see. That's what us as Americans see. We see rich and famous, millionaire, billionaire, all this money, everything you could ever want. You know, all the cool toys to play with, everything. That's what we see. But rich is relative. Let me explain this to you. Rich is relative. Because when I say rich, you picture something in your mind. But we could go to a third world country today, and I say the word rich, and I'll tell you what they see. They see a house. Not a house like you live in, just a house. They see clean drinking water. They see some cattle. They see a few chickens in the yard. They see making a couple bucks a day. That's what they see as rich. So we need to understand rich is relative. Rich is relative. And we need to understand that there's a big world and we just live in one little part of it. And so when I say rich, let's not make assumptions and picture something that's not necessarily what the Bible says. And vice versa about poor. Now, I brought that up for a reason because most of us in here, according to statistics, are in the top 10% richest people in the world just because we live in the United States. Most of you that have jobs, you have clothes, you have food, you have a house, you have clean drinking water. You guys are already rich. I don't know if you realize that. You're like, I don't feel rich. You are rich. 90% of the population of the world has a lot less than you do. Let's be thankful, people, before we go any further about prosperity. You are in the richest percentile in the entire planet. There is billions and billions of other people that have a lot less than you and that are more happy than you are and that are more thankful than you are. 
And this idea that we're poor, the poorest person in the United States is still rich compared to people in a lot of other countries. That's true. And so we need to understand rich is relative. Now, hear what I'm saying. Rich is relative because we associate it, because we live here, we associated richness with billionaire mansions, yachts, cars, jewelry. But that's not necessarily what God means when he says rich in the Bible. Same way about poor. You guys follow me so far? So let me give you the two basic definitions, and these are very simple. But when the Bible says poor, he means not having enough. Basic definition. So when you read the Bible and you see poor, the basic definition, don't picture somebody or something or a house or a car or a part of town. Picture in your mind just not having enough. That's the simplest definition for it in the Bible. Now, when God says the word rich in the Bible, this is what he means. He doesn't mean Bentleys and mansions and jewelry. When God says rich, he means more than enough. Come on, are you with me this morning? He means more than enough. Everybody say more than enough. So that's the basic definitions. When you read your Bible, realize rich is relative. And when God says poor, he means not having enough. When he says rich, he means more than enough. And I'm going to say today, God didn't promise all of us would be billionaires and live in mansions. He didn't promise us that. He also didn't promise us that we would have to live in poverty and struggle our whole lives. But I tell you what he did promise us. He promised us that we could have more than enough. Not just enough for us to barely get by and take care of our needs, but more than enough. And notice, because that's what the scripture says, we can have faith in it. Now, we can't have faith for all of us in here to be billionaires. Because a lot of us, God didn't call you to be a billionaire business person. But he's called all of us in here to be rich. And what does rich mean? More than enough. He's called all of us to have more than enough. Or some things in the Bible say abundance. What is abundance? It's more than enough. You, you follow me so far? Are you getting something this morning? Come on, we're, just, we're getting going here. We're getting to the really, really good part. So we need to understand and, and be thinking Christians. It's okay that we use our brains. And need to be thinking Christians, rich is relative. Let's not get on one ditch on either side, either in poverty or this extreme poverty or prosperity that people talk about. God promised us provision and he promised us that we could have more than enough. That's what he promised us. He didn't promise us that we would all be driving Bentleys and living in mansions. But he did promise us we could have more than enough. Now, he also said he would give us the desires of our heart. If he has our heart. And he's provided more than enough. Still here. I want to talk about three things as we close today. These are three reasons why God wants you to be rich. Three reasons why God wants you to be rich. Now once again, when we say rich, don't think about what you think just because you live in the United States. Mansions, cars, clothes. Jewelry, money. What does rich mean again? More than enough. So we could say three reasons why God wants you to have more than enough. So here's the first reason. Let's go to Matthew 7, 11. Matthew 7, 11. 
These are going to be very basic, simple points, but they're good. These are just three reasons why God wants you to have more than enough. So Matthew 7, in verse 11, we'll read here in a moment, but the first reason why God wants you to have more than enough is God is a good dad. God is a good dad. Matthew 7 and 11, it says in the New Living, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? Notice it says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your heavenly Father give good gifts, notice, to those who ask Him? The number one reason, and if there wasn't any other reason than this, this would be more than enough. The number one reason God wants you to be rich and wants you to have more than enough is he's a good dad. He's a good dad. And he says in this scripture, in some translations, if you fathers being evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more your father in heaven, who's better than your naturally earthly father, will give good gifts to you. And really, we could say this. Any of us that are good dads in here, and I'll say for myself, I know I'm not good at a lot of things, but I'm a good dad. The goodest dad, that's not good English, but bear with me here. The best dad in here, compared to the goodness of God, is evil. That's how much better he is than you are. And he says, if you're evil dads on the earth that are trying their best will give good gifts to you, how much more your Father in heaven, who's absolutely good and absolutely right and absolutely holy and absolutely the best dad that ever lived and has ever been around, how much more will he give good gifts to his children? God wants you to be rich and prosper because he's a good dad. And I know not all of you had good dads in here, but let me say for myself, I had a good dad and he loves me, but him compared to God, there's no comparison. And I'll let you know something today. I'm 29 years old, about to be 30, July 1st. First day of summer camp. Y'all got to get it, first day of summer camp, 30 years old. I am almost 30 years old. I will still, to this day, because I know the goodness of my dad, I will walk in the house anytime I want. I will stick my head in the refrigerator anytime I want. I will take food out anytime I want. I will go in his bathroom. I will use his shower. I will take his toiletry items because he's a good dad. And I know because my dad loves me, what he has is mine. Come on now, somebody. How much more our heavenly Father who's perfect will give good gifts to those who love him and are his his children? How much more? And if my naturally earthly father who's a good dad, how much more will God in heaven? Because my dad thinks the same way. What I have belongs to him. And what God, the God of the universe, the God who is richer than anything or any being in all of creation, what he has is mine. I'm preaching myself happy this morning. I don't know about you. And what he has is mine. 
That's why God wants you to be rich. That's why God wants to give you more than enough. Because he's a good dad. He's a good dad. He's better than any dad that any of you have ever had. He's better. Once again, not a word, not good English. Gooder than any person, any dad that we've ever had in our life that wanted to provide for us. He's better. And he wants to give us good gifts. And you know what? When I do that, that pleases my earthly father. When he can provide for his son. Same way with God our father. It pleases him when he can provide for his children. It makes him happy. You know, if Natalie came in here and she was wearing rags, she had dirt on her face, she hadn't eaten in a while, that would upset me a lot because I'm a good dad. I wouldn't want to see that happen to her. Why? Because she's mine and I want to provide for her. How much more God? He don't want to see us wearing rags. He don't want to see us going hungry. He don't want to see us not being able to pay our bills. He don't want to see us struggling because he loves us and he's for us and he wants to provide for us. And it would break my heart if I saw Natalie like that because I'm a good dad. And you know what makes me happy? Is when I can see that I can provide for her. That's what makes me happy. It makes God happy too. When she comes in with a new outfit because she literally has 365 outfits for every day of the year and she has a bow and matching shoes to go with them, that makes me happy. That makes me happy. Why? Because I know she's provided for. When she has a toy and a stuffed animal for everything that you could ever imagine, it makes me happy. When she eats good at lunch, it makes me happy. When she knows all the fast food restaurants and all the Longhorns and the Outbacks because we never eat at home anyways and we always eat out. And, Daddy, can we go to Outback? And she even asked for a to-go box. What four-year-old does that? Because she knows she lives the good life. And there is nothing beyond what she can ask for. And she's well provided for. And you know what? When she acts like that, it makes me happy. Because I'm being able to provide for her. Because she's my child. Once again, how much more God? How much more God? He's, he's ten times better than I've ever tried to be. He loves us more than we could ever love our own kids. How much does he love us and want to provide for us? And you know what? When, when we have more than enough, man, it makes him happy. When we get a new outfit, man, it makes him happy. When we get the house we wanted, man, it makes him happy. When we get the car we wanted, man, it makes him happy. When we can provide for our kids and send them to college, man, it makes him happy. When we have more than enough, man, it pleases God. He's a good God. Man, I got sweating on that one, but that's a good point. It says in 1 Timothy 5 and 8, you can just write this down, but it says that if you don't provide for your own family, you're worse than an unbeliever. So why would God say that you're worse than an unbeliever if he doesn't do the same thing for his own kids? That wouldn't make sense. And God says that we need to take care of our family. How much more God? So the number one reason why God wants you to be rich is he's a good dad. He loves to see his kids prosper. He loves to see his kids provided for. I think we could all agree with that, especially of those of us who are parents or grandparents in here. You want to see your kids succeed. You want to see your kids doing well. You don't want to see them struggling. You don't want to see them wearing rags. 
not being able to provide for themselves. Same way with God. God is a good dad. Number two, it's part of our redemptive rights. Second Corinthians 8 and 9. I'm going to move a little bit quicker here. I know you're receiving something this morning. It's part of our redemptive rights. Now, what do I mean when I say redemptive rights? Redemptive rights means that when Jesus died on the cross, he provided redemption for us. And there's certain things that belong to us because of what he did on the cross. And there are considered our redemptive rights. They belong to us. Just like the Bill of Rights, those things belong to us. Nobody can argue with us about those because they already belong to us. God in his word has things that he says that are part of our redemptive rights. He already paid for them, but we have to receive them. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, and we read this a minute ago. 2 Corinthians 8 and 9, it says, You know that the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty you could be made rich. So, Jesus, when he was on the cross, it says he was rich, but he became poor, and through his poverty we might be rich. So, when was Jesus poor? When was he poor? Well, Jesus was poor at the same time he was sin. Jesus was poor in the same time he was sickness. And we know this, when Jesus went to the cross... And he paid the price. God put the sins of the world on him to pay for. But he didn't just put all the sins of the world. He put all the diseases and sickness of the world on him to pay for our healing. But he also put something else on it. But a lot of people don't talk about it. He put the poverty and the struggle and the lack of all mankind on him too at the same time. And that's what this verse says. Though he was rich, he became poor that we might be rich. So at the same time he paid for sin and disease, he paid for our poverty on the cross. That's when he became poor. And it's part of our redemptive rights that we receive the richness that's been provided for us. It's part of our rights. It belongs to us. Just like healing belongs to us, just like salvation belongs to us, richness belongs to us because of what Jesus did. Now, that's exactly what the scripture says. Through his poverty, we'd be, we would be made rich or having more than enough. You know, if you had a relative that had a, a vast inheritance that they left for you and you never went and picked it up or never received it, your relative would be very disappointed. They'd be like, why didn't, you, why didn't you take it? It was there. It belonged to you. It was just sitting in the bank. Recently, I, I'd heard about this, that, and a lot of you have heard stories like this. There was this guy who, who lived in New York City who had been living under the bridge for like 20 years, homeless guy, struggling. And he, he died, and somebody found him. And when they did a you know, an autopsy of him, and they, they found out who he really was, they realized he was related to one of the most wealthy families in New York City. And he was living under a bridge. 
And he had no idea that all these years he had an inheritance of millions and millions of dollars. But he knew nothing about it. And he lived under the bridge as a homeless man. When the whole entire time he had an inheritance that would have made him rich. How many Christians walk around the planet like that? They have no idea because no preacher has ever been bold enough to get up and say that God left you an inheritance that you might be made rich. And they're walking around like a homeless person living under a bridge, struggling because they don't realize that somebody left them an inheritance. And they never went and got it. That that's part of their rights and nobody ever told them about it. Or for some of us in here, we know about it, but we've never really had faith to go get it. What already belongs to us. So let me encourage you that it is legally, in the eyes of heaven, our right that we prosper and that we're rich. Because Jesus paid for it. Just like he paid for sin, just like he paid for sickness, he paid for poverty. That we might be made rich. Now once again, I'm using the scripture. I'm not making this up. Using the scripture. So number two, why we should be rich and have more than enough God, or God has left us these redemptive rights. Last but not least, and this kind of goes with what Amzie said, and this is one of my favorites too. The third reason why God wants us to be rich and have more than enough is we are blessed to be a blessing. We are blessed to be a blessing. Let's look back at Deuteronomy 8 and verse 17. Did you guys get something this morning so far? I appreciate you guys coming out. I tell you, I get excited talking about this because I know it could change your life. I get excited about it because we're revealing what really belongs to you. And that pleases God. Deuteronomy 8, and we're going to read here in verse 17 in a moment. So number three, why God wants you to be rich. He blesses us so we can be a blessing. You know, in Genesis 12, Abraham, the father of our faith, God says, I'm going to bless you, Abraham. And I'm going to bless you so you can be a blessing. There's always something attached to it. We mentioned this word last week, but prosperity always has to have a purpose with it. Prosperity is not always just about you. It never is. Blessing is not just about you. It never is. God wants to provide for you, but notice what does rich mean? More than enough. Why do you have more than enough? So you can help somebody else. Why does God give you more than enough? So you could bless somebody else. Prosperity needs to have a purpose if it's real prosperity. Prosperity is not so I could just get more stuff to show off to people. Prosperity is to have a purpose with it. So in Genesis 12, God said, I'm going to bless you, Abraham, and you're going to be a blessing. I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be a blessing. It's interesting that the father of our faith, and it says this even in the New Testament, was one of the most wealthy people that ever lived, Abraham. Abraham. 
And we're not just talking spiritually wealthy. He was one of the richest people who ever lived. Abraham was rich. And it says when he passed away, he was rich in all things. He was the father of our faith. And God says, I'm going to bless you, and I'm going to make you rich, and I'm going to provide for you so you can help other people. Blessed so you can be a blessing. That's another reason why God wants you to be rich. So Deuteronomy 8 and verse 17, it says, He did all this so you would never say to yourself, I have achieved this wealth with my own strength and my own energy. Verse 18, it says, Remember the Lord your God. It is He who gives you the power to be successful in order to fulfill the covenant He confirmed to your ancestors with an oath. Now, other translations said, It is God who gives you the power to get wealth. Notice that His covenant could be established on the earth. There's prosperity with a purpose. God gave you the wealth and the ability to get wealth and to be rich to notice establish his covenant on the earth. Or we could say establish his kingdom on the earth. God blesses us so we can be a blessing. And that's the way of God is giving. And the more that we give and the more he knows he can trust us, there's no end to how much he can funnel through our hands. When we realize, hey, God, I know why you're giving me this, and it's not just for me. I'm going to send it on down the line and give it to somebody else. I'm blessed to be a blessing. God prospers me for a purpose. He gives me riches and the power to get wealth to establish his kingdom on the earth. prosperity with a purpose what could you do when money is no option or no issue what could a church do when they don't have to ask a bank whether they can do something or not that's a church and people that are unstoppable and God wants us to have more than enough why we're blessed to be a blessing I know we've heard that so much it's kind of Christianese But it's true. We're blessed to be a blessing. We're prospered with a purpose. Now let me talk to you about this for a second. Because there's a big movement on the earth and even in the body of Christ. And, you know, I'm a millennial. And there's a lot of bad things said about millennials. Some are true. Some are not true. But let me say this. A lot of millennials, like myself, uh, they always talk about they're all about causes. So, you know, if they're getting paid like a dollar an hour, they're going to go work for a cause rather than just do a nine-to-five job and make good money. Now, not everybody that's a millennial thinks that way, but they're all about causes and purpose. And let let me go save somebody and let me go, you know, go to Botswana and, and save the elephants or let me go into the ocean and save the whales. And they're all about causes and purpose. You with me? And even in the church world, people that are my age are really big, and and this is a word that's used, social justice. Social justice. Now, now what social justice really means is they want to help people that don't have a lot. They want to provide for people. They want to help, you know, feed people, clothe people, house people, provide programs to heal them, and, you know, doctors and other things like that. So that's kind of a buzzword with people that are my age. 
I'm all about social justice. Now, there's a problem with that. You ready for it? They have no money. (laughs) Bummer. So you got a lot of good ideas, but you got no money. That's why it's important that we prosper. Because you know what? People like that that are my age, that have passion and they have a heart, a lot of those people, they don't get it. They err on the side of the poverty message, but they can't help anybody if they don't prosper. If you can't feed yourself, you can't feed anybody else. If you can't clothe yourself, you can't clothe anybody else. If you can't buy yourself a house, you can't buy anybody else a house. So this idea that we got the best hearts and we just love people and social justice, if you don't have the money, you can't help anybody. Isn't that the truth today? I'm telling on my own generation, but that's true. We got the right hearts, but you got to align God's message of prosperity with it. Because the people that have the, the best hearts, well, you know, your, your church just needs to do more for the poor, but you don't give anything in the offering yourself. Why don't you give a job, get a job and give some tithes and offerings? Our church just needs to do more for the poor. When's the last time you did something for the poor? Never. I just started a nonprofit that doesn't profit anybody. Isn't that the truth? Now, I know this because I am one, and I have friends that are. So, God's message is that we're blessed to be a blessing. And you know that social justice, which Jesus did tell us to do, in the Gospels, he told us to do throughout the Bible. That's a real part of living as a Christian. That's a, something that we need to do. But it can't happen without prosperity. It can't happen without us having more than enough. That's why it's important. Notice it's not for selfish reasons. A lot of people say, well, you preach on prosperity because you want just more for yourself. No, I want more so we can do more for other people quick testimony of our church you guys know generation church in louisville jacob and jessica what they're doing guess who funds a lot of what they do church on the rock we're not saying that arrogantly but we fund a lot of what they do to feed people to clothe people to help people that are trying to get off drugs to to help people find housing to help heal people that need healing and so we could say You know, we got money, but what are we going to do with it? You guys just need to give more to the poor. Well, people like that, we're helping and investing in. And notice the prosperity that some of us have. We're using it for a purpose to help people that are in need. But notice if they didn't have a church like us that are giving, they probably wouldn't be able to do what they're doing. Now, that's thinking right about money. Prosperity with a purpose. Prosperity with a purpose. So I'm all for helping people and social justice, but I want to say when we think about that, we need to align the message of God's prosperity and more than enough with it. Or we're not going to be able to help anybody practically. We need more than enough and we need prosperity for other people. Last verse, Proverbs 10 and verse 22. Did you guys get something this morning? 
So once again, the, the three points, we said God is a good dad. That's why he wants you to have more than enough. It's part of our redemptive rights. And number three, God wants to bless you so you can be a blessing. Prosperity with a purpose. Proverbs 10 and verse 22, the New Living. New Living Translation says, Proverbs 10, 22, The blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. Notice the blessing of the Lord makes a person rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. God wants you to be blessed, wants you to be rich, but notice not at the price of sorrow and pain in our own lives. And it says the blessing of the Lord, it makes you rich. And he adds no sorrow with it. So it's God's will. That you prosper. It's God's will that you are rich and you have more than enough. Did you guys get something this morning? Well, let's close our eyes for a second here as we we close. Father, we just thank you for today. We thank you for.